How many of you are uh, fans of Gatorade? Any fellow fans of uh, Gatorade out there? Yes, 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 I love Gatorade. My favorite are the blue flavors, the, this blue right here and a lighter blue. Those are my favorite. What, uh, somebody shout out some of your favorite Gatorades, favorite flavors. What, what you got? What you got? What you got? All right. Glacier Cherry. That's exotic. Glacier Cherry. I love, I love, I love uh, Gatorade. But there's one problem that I have, uh, truth be told, with Gatorade. It's that they're liars. See, let me, let me explain. See, Gatorade says that it quenches your thirst, right? It's the thirst quencher. It lies. Every time I drink Gatorade, I want more Gatorade. Like, like, like I'm thirsty, I drink Gatorade, and I'm like, oh, I should be good. No. There's like something that stays in the back of my throat. They're like, I, I need some more Gatorade. I, I, like, I need another, another drink. It never really satisfies. I, it's like it keeps me thirsty, which is a genius plan on their part to get us to continue to buy uh, Gatorade. I think in life, when it comes to the issue of money in particular, we're a thirsty bunch of people. We're a thirsty group. We, we have this... Uh, unsatisfied, never quenched thirst for more. We, we have in us this drive and this deep desire for, for more. We, we're thirsty for more. In fact, if we were to uh, just take a poll, which we won't in this moment, if I were to ask you how many of you are rich, none of us would really raise our hand because rich is always the other guy. They're the guy that's got the nicer car. They're the rich ones. They're the ones that's got a house and a lake house. They're the rich ones. Like, like rich is always the next person ahead of you. Like rich is always somebody other than, other than you. Do you realize that if you make more than $9,000 a year in your house, you are above average wage earner according to the world standards? Worldwide. The average household internationally makes just over $9,000 a year. So if you make over $9,000, according to the, to the standards internationally, you, my friends, would be considered rich. You'd be considered rich, but we don't feel rich because rich is always the other guy because rich is always more than what you have. It's a, it's a moving target. This idea of, of enough. And, and, and that's why we're always thirsty for more. See, when you're in high school, rich and enough is if it, 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 you want to get to a place in high school where uh, you have money for gas, money for the movies, and money to buy new kicks. Then you're, then you're good in high school. When you're in college, rich and, and, and enough is not having to eat ramen noodles for every meal, having your own Netflix account, <laughs> and being able to buy uh, energy drinks whenever you need one. Like, that's rich. Like, you're it. You made it. Those are the rich kids in college, right? When you're in your 20s, the rich ones are the ones who have their own house, have a steady salary income, and have a job that's got benefits. You are adulting now that you have benefits, right? Like, that's the that's the marker. And every stage and season of our life, the thirst for more continues to expand and grow. 
rich keeps moving. We don't think that we are, are rich, but, but like not only do we have enough food for today, we've got a cabinet full of food for the next several days. Some of you are like storing up for the apocalypse, and you've got enough food for like years. Canned peaches again, all right. We're like, you got it under control. Like, like we're so rich, we have houses for our cars. We call them garages. You're like, no, pastor, my car doesn't fit in my garage. That's because you have too much stuff. You don't know how to get rid or organize because you're rich. You've got so much stuff, it doesn't fit in your house, so you move it to the garage, which is supposed to house your car, right? Like, it's, if you, many of us take perfectly good cars, drive them to car dealerships, leave them there, pay them money, and drive away with another car that also works, we hope, right? Like, like we are, we're rich, and we always have this moving target. I think that this thirst for wealth, this thirst for more, this thirst for, for having more than what we currently have, I think really is motivated, if, if we're honest, by a spirit of fear. I think fear is at the root of what many have called a poverty mentality. A mentality that says, I don't have enough now, and if I'm not careful, I won't have enough tomorrow, so I've got to get more. This, this fear that drives us to not be generous, this fear that drives us to, to not have, to, to, to be envious of other people and to, to be jealous, and it's this fear in us that grips us so we don't deal with money in the right way because we're thirsty we're thirsty for more. I know for me in my life, I, I grew up uh, in my family. There, there were six kids in, in my family. I was number two of six. And there was a single income uh, coming into our house. That means one, one parent worked full time. The other, the other stayed home. And six kids, a lot to take care of, a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of activity to go on. And, and while we always had a place to live and we always had things, uh, money was always a, a, a scarce subject, it seemed like, in our house. I remember... Weeks uh, and days upon days would go by where all we would eat was toast because that's what we had to eat. And I remember this sense in my mind as I looked at other people and, and, and I looked at, uh, at those who had money and those who had things and had uh, luxury items. I remember thinking, uh, if I ever get there, I never want to lose it. I, and so fear began to grip my heart at a young age because I was so afraid that I wouldn't have. And, it, and if I didn't have, then I wouldn't matter. And if I didn't matter, then I had no value. But it was all because of this sense of, of fear. Even, even as an adult that had, had, had income and had a job, I, I fear would grip some of my decisions. I, I remember uh, even a year ago, uh, this is just silly, uh, but this is the true, true, true moment. I was driving back from a lunch appointment driving back here to the church, 
And as I was driving, I had that after lunch breath, you know what I'm talking about, where you're like, I got to do, got to do something. My lunch is following me in my mouth. And I was like, I need, I need some gum. It's like, oh, I've got some gum in my car. So I opened up my, uh, the, 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 the armrest there and I reached in and I saw I had two pieces of gum left. And I was like, sweet, two pieces of gum. And right as I was about to take out a piece of gum, I was like, oh, you know what? I've only got two pieces of gum. I might run out real soon and I might need some in a, in a day or two and I don't have any more because all I've got are two pieces and that might not be enough for what I need. So I, I probably ought to take this piece of gum and split it in half and only ration my gum to half a piece each time. Because I was afraid that I might need some gum in the future and I wouldn't have enough. Really silly, isn't it? But play it out in your own mind. What are the things that you make decisions based out of fear because there's this, this grip of might not have enough. See, whether you have enough or you don't feel like you have enough, either way, if we're not careful, money, money has a way of magnifying what's already in our hearts. Today, we're going to look at this phrase, money is the root of all evil. And you've probably heard that phrase, you've probably said that phrase, and a lot of times we say those things when we look at people who have a lot, and they abuse it, and they treat other people who don't have money in a different way as less than or less important, and we're like, see, money always corrupts, they're different, they're, not, they're no longer Jenny from the block, they've changed, they're different, they don't remember where they came from, they got money now, all of a sudden they're, oh, what to do now, they got a new car, and they're this, and money has corrupted them because money is the root of all evil. The only problem is God never said that. What did God say? Well, let's look. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where oftentimes this uh, idea of money and evil and being at the root of evil really, really emerge. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and, and he says some really interesting words. Let's take a look at what God's word actually says. This is what it says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We're going to talk about those, those three words, godliness, contentment, and gains. We're going to talk about it here in a minute. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. That's why the statement is true. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> Scriptural-ish. Verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and, and, and fall into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money, for the, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And you might be sitting there thinking, see, money is wrong. It's wrong. It's right there in scripture. Well, let's jump to verse 17. Command those who are rich in the present world that they're going to hell. No, it's not what it says. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life, watch this, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, many of us living are these uh, with a false sense of life, a false sense of joy, a false sense of peace. We're living with this false sense because we've misprioritized some things. So, so if God never said money is the root of all evil, but he did say that the love of money is the root of all evil, what does that leave us with? Well, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's, here's number one today. Money is not evil. Money is not evil. In fact, money is just amoral. It's neither good nor bad. It's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to prosper. It's not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to have money. And if you think that it is, you're wrong. Money is not evil. However, money simply magnifies the character that you already have. Your character might be evil, and when you get money, it just magnifies it. You might be, you might be uh, stingy, and when you get money, you're now just more stingy because you have more money to be stingy with. But money didn't make you stingy. You were already stingy. On the flip side, having more money doesn't mean you get to be more generous. Just because you have it doesn't mean you'll be generous with it. Why? Because you weren't generous without the money. Pastor, as soon as I win that lottery, I'm writing the church a check. No, you won't. <laughs> Number one, the lottery's a scam. You haven't won it yet. Hello. Let's be good stewards. Another subject for another day, right, Joey? No, you won't. You won't be generous when you win the lottery. You know why? Because you're not generous now. Money's just going to magnify. Money isn't evil. And that's why Paul writes and he says, listen, 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 money's not evil. You've got to understand you need godliness with contentment, and then you'll see some gains. If you want to gain financially, if you want to gain some security, if you want to gain some wisdom, if you want to gain some things, if you, if you want to gain the blessing and favor of God in your life, you need godliness with contentment. Because godliness and contentment have to go hand in hand. And I would, I would say it as far as this, if there are areas where you are not walking in godliness and you are not walking and living with content, you won't be gaining in those areas. I think that there are three areas where we can really see this in full color in our lives. In fact, if you look at it, just like money isn't evil, and to help, help illustrate that point, let me, let me say it this way, is power and authority evil? No, but do you know people who have power and authority who do evil with it? Yes, okay. So power isn't evil. Money isn't evil. Here's another one, sex. Is sex evil and bad? Nope. 
not according to God's word. Are there inappropriate ways in which you engage with those things? Yeah. There are ways we can live with ungodliness in our sexuality, just like there are ways that we can be ungodly when it comes to power and influence. The issue is, are you living with godliness and having contentment? See, these three areas of power, money, and sex are are the areas in our lives as humans that we become the most thirsty all the time. When it comes to power, we're trying to essentially control every area. We're trying to control other people, manipulate, because we wanna have our own outcomes. So we're not content with where we're at, so we're gonna control in every area of our life. When it comes to our sexuality, we, we don't feel satisfied and we don't feel content. And so we have this drive for more. The Bible calls it lust. And so we misappropriate a gift that God said was good. We take it out of the bounds of marriage and we do whatever we want with it. And we wonder why there are things where we're not gaining relationally in our lives because we're not having godliness and contentment within this area. And the same is true with our money. When we're living in a place where we aren't content in our hearts and in our lives, and we're not living godly within the appropriation of finances and money, we're not going to see great gains. Why? Because godliness and contentment produce great gains in your life. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer is writing, and the whole book of Hebrews comes around this idea to rally believers to understand, to stay the course against a culture that's contrary to what God wants them to do. Would you say that we live in a culture that is influencing and trying to get us to do things contrary to what God wants us to do? Would you agree with that, yes or yes? Okay, So what he wrote to the Hebrews applies to us today. In Hebrews 13, starting in verse 4, 5, and 6, I want you to notice something. Hebrews 13, verse 4, he says, keep the marriage bed clean. In other words, immorality, adultery, things out using and having sexual relations outside of marriage, it's not okay. Very next verse, don't fall in love with money. Because loving money will create all sorts of problems in your heart. Followed directly by the Lord is your helper so you don't have to control or manipulate because God is there to help you. All three of these things he addresses in Hebrews chapter 13 verses 4, 5, and 6. Why? Because godliness with contentment brings great gain. But ungodliness and discontentment creates all sorts of negativity in our lives. Money isn't evil, just like the other things that we've discussed aren't evil. But if we allow discontent to sit in our hearts and we do ungodly things with them, we're not going to see the gains that we need in our lives. I want to encourage you, friends. I want God's best for your life in every area. I want to see you gaining momentum of heaven in every area of your life. I really do. But it starts with this, today we're looking at this idea of godliness and contentment, and we have to realize, number one, money is not evil. 
nor can we swing the pendulum all the way on the other side. And this is where a lot of people live. They live with this idea that money, money isn't evil, therefore money becomes God. Friends, money is not God. But many of us worship at the altar of money. We substitute God with money. And we say things like, if I had more money, this problem would go away. No. Mo money, mo problems. We replace what you actually need to help you in this situation is God, not more money. And so we swing the pendulum. Money isn't evil. Yes, no, money isn't evil. And we swing it all the way over to money is God. No, that's dangerous too. Money isn't God. Money, money won't satisfy you the way that you think that it will. In, in Matthew chapter 6, you see Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's preaching uh, one of his most famous sermons. It's the end of, or right in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and at the end of Matthew chapter 6, God, Jesus is trying to communicate to followers of, of God, saying, listen, you need to understand, you don't need to worry about anything. Don't worry about what you eat, what you drink, or what you wear, because your heavenly Father loves you enough to provide everything that you need. Let me put it in today's terms. God is better than a sugar daddy. Like, he's better. Turn to your neighbor and say, I got something better than a sugar daddy. Go tell him. Some of you, that's the very first time you've ever said the word sugar daddy. I am so proud of you. You just grew in street cred. Way to go. Like, just got cooler. Jesus is saying, you don't have to worry about these things because you have a father in heaven who wants to see and meet these needs. And Jesus makes a statement in Matthew 6, verse 24, and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will love one and despise the other, or you will be devoted to one and hate the other. You cannot serve, Jesus is talking, you cannot serve both God and money. To put it in rancher terms, you can't ride two horses with one butt. <laughs> Gotta pick. And most of us, many of us, are living with this sense that money is our God and the answer to our problems. No. God is God, and he's actually the answer that you need. And you can't love God and love money at the same time. Why? Because your heart follows your money. Your money doesn't follow your heart. Your heart follows your money. Where your money is, that's where your heart is. This word money could, it comes from an original word. And in some translations, Jesus says you can't serve both God and mammon. Everybody say mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic word that means riches, wealth, very big wealth, very great riches. Jesus is saying you can't serve both God and, and mammon. There is a spirit present in the world today driven by fear known as the spirit of mammon. It's a, it's a spiritual heart condition that many people have. And this sense of mammon wants to worship uh, money and riches rather than worshiping God. 
unless we think that only like really greedy people, and you're not greedy because you don't have a lot of money and it's fine, you're, you're right here, and so this doesn't apply to you, I know, because you're not thinking that it does, but I'm telling you, money can become a place in our heart. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves following money rather than following God. Let, 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 me, let me show you what I mean because uh, at the core, this idea of mammon says that you can be self-sufficient. You don't need God to meet your needs. You can meet your own needs. Other people can meet your needs. The government will meet your needs. Your grandmother's inheritance that you can't wait to earn and get, that's going to meet your needs. The lottery is going to, no, no, no. See, mammon promises things that only God can give. Mammon wants to promise you security, satisfaction, significance, identity, independence, freedom, and power. If I could just get more money, then I'd be secure. If I could just get more money, I'd be significant. I'd be somebody. I'd go back to my high school reunion and prove them all wrong because I got money now. I'm significant now. I'm somebody now. I have independence. I am power. I am woman. Hear me roar. Really? Like we have all of these ideas that money is gonna solve all sorts of things and it's gonna be the solution that we need and it's gonna give us something that frankly it can't give you. Why? Because money and mammon aren't God. It tries to promise you things that only are gonna come from God. Only are gonna, satisfaction, security, independence, freedom, hope, uh, identity, those things only are found in God and in God alone. We, we say things like, if I had the right job, if I had the right credit card, if I had the right car, had the right clothes, lived in the right neighborhood, on the right side of the railroad tracks, if I knew the right people, then I'd be happy. That's mammon. That's, that's money as God, thinking and, and heart postures. You think that money can solve your problems, then you are under the control of mammon. If you think more money or this job, this promotion, it's going to solve all your problems. If you think that, then you are living under the control of the spirit of mammon in your life. Because money can't do what God was designed to do. What makes you think that it can, but it can't. You, you want to know why? Because the more money we get in our hands, you know what we tend to do? We tend to just grip it tighter and tighter and tighter. I'm not going to let go because I'm afraid if I let go, it's going to all disappear and I'll never have and I want this and then this and, and then it's going to be this and I've got to have more. If I just had more, I had more. And we get this, this such a tight grip. But the tighter we grip our hands, the greater death grip greed has on our heart. And it chokes contentment right out of our life. The whole point today was to help you realize that if you've got a tight grip on money, on a perspective of money, that it's the thing, it's the answer, it's what you need, you've got to have more of it, it's, I'm going to hold on to it. And you've got a, a tight grip on, on money in your life. I want you to realize that whatever it is that you've got a tight grip on actually has a death grip on your heart. only way to get it to release the death grip on your heart is to release it in your hands. An open hand when it comes to money, an open hand actually creates an open heart. And an open heart before God 
actually unlocks heaven to be open to you. Because godliness with contentment, it's great gains. It's great gains. So how do we loosen the death grip that we've got? How do we loosen? Listen, you, you can loosen the grip of greed through intentional generosity. Intentional generosity. The only way to loosen greed's grip that you've got, the only way is through intentional generosity. That's it. This is, this is why, as a church, we don't pass a bucket, we don't have an offering plate, or those magic bags where you can put your money in. We don't pass those around. But rather, we have what we call giving boxes that are located as you exit just about every section and definitely as you exit the sanctuary. They're there. You can give if you want to, or you can keep walking by. But either way, you're not going to be manipulated by us into doing something that's not in your heart to do. Because the only way you're going to loosen the grip is not because it's convenient and there's a plate that comes by. It's because you make an intentional decision, I'm going to be generous today. I'm going to loosen this grip and I'm going to open my hand and I'm going to give to the Lord. I'm going to put God first. Well, Pastor, where do I start? According to scripture, the starting place of generosity is called tithing. Returning the first 10% of your income undesignated to the Lord through the local church. That's called the tithe, 10%, the first 10% to the Lord. When you start with the tithe, you are beginning to understand generosity and you begin to open your hand. Statistics say that on average, Christians, people who love God, go to church often, Christians give 2.5% of their income to the church. 2.5 is not 10. And just for shock value, because it blew me away, during the Great Depression, the average Christian was giving 3.3% of their income. Friends, do we have a greed problem in America? Yep. Is that because money's the root of all evil? Nope. It's because we have humans who have a tight grip on something where they think money is evil or they think money is God and it has death gripped their heart. And all sorts of evil exists. What would happen if we made a decision to say, no, it's not going to have a death grip on my life anymore. I'm going to open it up, and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to loosen this, and I'm going to be intentional with my generosity. Friends, I've never met a generous person who was grumpy or unsatisfied in their life. Never have. Some, the generous are people who are, who are content 
the generous are people who have joy in their life. The generous are people that, that, that have recognized that God is it. I'm telling you, this church is full of people who are generous. They've discovered and learned what it looks like to release it out of their hand to God. And I'm so thankful. Friends, I believe God wants to break some of the bondages and he wants you to grow big gains in your life. It's godliness and contentment that are gonna produce those great gains. Money isn't evil, but money's not God either. In Deuteronomy, God, God was telling the children of Israel and giving them instructions as he's introducing tithe. And he says, when you're bringing these offerings to me, I want you to, to tell your children and your offspring why you give. Tell them that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt and, and your God generously brought you out of slavery, redeemed you, set you free, and put you in a promised land where he provides everything for you. Tell your children about it. Tell them why. My wife Amber and I, we have, we have three kids. One day I'm going to sit my kids down and I'm going to tell them why their mom and I tithe and we give. I'm going to tell them why. I'm going to look them in the eyes, show them what we give, how we give, and then I'm going to tell them why we give. And I'm going to say something along the lines of, long ago your, your dad isn't, wasn't the same person that he is today. I was selfish. I was full of lust. I manipulated people so I could control outcomes and get what I wanted. I did whatever it took to, to appear special and, and to please other people. I lived and craved control. There was a time your dad was gripped by fear. So afraid of failure. I hardly could obey God. But Jesus changed it all. Jesus set me free. He loosened the grip of things that had a death grip on my heart. I'm not the same person anymore. I'm not selfish. I don't deal with the things I used to deal with. Because Jesus changed me. I would venture to say that many of you could say something similar. And you would recognize Jesus changed it all. Friends, that's why I give. I don't give to get something from God. I don't give because I feel obligated to. I have made an intentional decision to not let greed and money be God in my life, but instead to let God be God in my life. And he's changed everything. What's he changed for you? What's that worth to you? I wonder, I wonder if maybe, just maybe, today is the day you decide to become intentional with your generosity. And you decide, I'm going to start with the tithe. Because that's the starting point, God 
wants me to start at. You bow your heads. Let's pray. God, you're working in so many of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us here in this moment. For many of us, God, we, we hear your voice. We hear what you're saying. And, and today, we want to make a decision to be intentional in our generosity. We're going to make a commitment to tithe, to bring to you the first 10%. Lord, and we're going to make sure that greed no longer grips our heart because we're not going to tightly grip it with our hands. We're going to open it in generosity. Lord, help us make that commitment today. In Jesus.